So for me, it's really quite simple. These assessments fail to consider the value the ALS community puts on extending life by any amount so that more memories can be made. And any consideration of value that doesn't take this into account just simply isn't a valid discussion of the term in my eyes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. As many listeners know by now, the FDA's Peripheral and Central Nervous System Drug Advisory Committee recently voted 6-4 to against recommending AMX35 for approval to treat people with ALS. It's important to note that the advisory committee's views are not binding on the FDA. Following the vote, the ALS Association called on the agency to take into account the strong safety profile of AMX35, as well as the serious unmet medical need of people living with this devastating condition, and to approve the drug for clinical use. We will share a link to the association's formal statement in the show notes, and we will be talking more about next steps in the fight for access to AMX35 in the coming weeks and months. In the meantime, as listeners of this show know, an industry stakeholder group known as ICER is continuing its review of AMX35 and oral Adaravone using a methodology that has been called discriminatory by the National Council on Disabilities. So this week, I want to learn about an important step you can take in the fight to make sure ICER's flawed analysis is not used to make it harder to access therapies once they are approved. And joining me to do so is Daniel Kramer, Associate Director of Public Policy Initiatives at the ALS Association. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me this week. Oh, thank you so much, Jeremy. I'm really excited to be joining you today to talk about this important topic. Uh, yeah, Daniel, excited to have you. And I uh, wanted to talk about a piece that you recently wrote for the association's blog. And that is explaining why you were signing a petition that calls on insurers to ban the use of discriminatory value assessments that limit access to ALS drugs. Talk to me a little bit about why you're signing the ICER petition. Yeah, that, that's correct, Jeremy. And, and truth be told, it wasn't a hard decision to make. As I shared in my article, you know, I, I haven't been part of the ALS community for long. I only recently started associating with the cause back in July of 2021 when my mom Ann Kramer was diagnosed with ALS after months and months and months of doctor's appointments and screenings. And, you know, I just remember it so vividly that day, getting the news and just feeling my heart sink so low, like uh, I could never pick it back up again. But Really, in that day, there was a glimmer of some hope. The day she was diagnosed, I remember reaching out to the ALS Association, and I offered my help, whatever I could do to help advance the ALS cause. I was available. And honestly, my action that day is really just an extension of who my mom was. She was somebody who would do any and everything for those around her. Really, I find the work that I do now a part of continuing that legacy. I took the energy of my family's journey with ALS and I directed it towards doing some good for others. You know, my mom and I would have these very long conversations late in her diagnosis and she would use her iPad to communicate with me because she had lost her voice by that time about how much my involvement in the ALS community meant to her. She said to me, and I just remember so clearly that 
this diagnosis that her journey with ALS, it could all be for something. It could mean something. So for me, when I first heard that ICER was looking to review ALS therapies through a widely criticized metric to assess value, I was frankly, rightfully worried. And my concerns were validated when I heard from ICER themselves that the metric being used in this review would attempt to make a value assessment of ALS therapies by using an average case of ALS. And Jeremy, like I said earlier, I I haven't been a part of this community for a long time, but one thing I know for certain, even in my short time knowing ALS intimately, I know there's no such thing as an average case of ALS. I, right. I could get into the differences between limb onset and bulbar onset, you know, a genetic case or a sporadic case, but really that in a way still wouldn't even cover the wide array of ways ALS carries its awful march on bodies. So my mom, day in and day out, she lost a piece of herself and it was awful to watch and we would have had moved mountains to stop it, but her disease simply took her too quickly. And I'm worried that any progress that we make towards finding therapies that help to slow that march on people's bodies is going to be hindered by these types of processes that aim to assign a value to a drug. And for me, value is much more than a dollar figure. And moreover, the concept of value changes from person to person. My mom had a concept of value for her life. And it was directly tied to her ability to be there for her family, to be there as family members went through the hardest times in their lives. And the truth of the matter is you can't value the life of the linchpin of a family through a metric like this. And ultimately, these metrics miss the mark. So for me, it's really quite simple. These assessments fail to consider the value the ALS community puts on extending life by any amount so that more memories can be made, so that you can hold your grandchild, you can attend your son's wedding, you can go out with friends and make new lasting memories to be there for the big moments life has to offer. And any consideration of value that doesn't take this into account just simply isn't a valid discussion of the term in my eyes. It's a really powerful piece that you posted, uh, Daniel, and I thank you for sharing your story both on the blog and here with us today. And I, we'll, we'll share a link to that in the show notes so, so folks can can dig a little bit deeper. You know, it's it strikes me listening to you talk about the different ways individuals value life and, and the moments that, that each person values. I just, I recall some of the testimony we heard last summer when the FDA had that open forum, the we can't wait forum, hearing from people with ALS about how they value, whether it's six months of life extended, uh, but the moments that that can capture. And it, it strikes me as a very powerful message that should resonate with people when we think about who gets to assign value to life. Well, I think the answer to that, Jeremy, is it's really on us to determine that value. It's on us as those who have experienced ALS firsthand, those of us who are living with the disease, those of us like me who are serving or who have served as a caregiver to somebody with ALS to determine what the value and quality of life with ALS is. And the petition that that you signed and the the petition that is available for, for people to sign 
is really directed at insurance companies, at payers, at, at, at managed healthcare providers who could use the report that we expect from ICER sometime this summer to erect barriers, to establish a cost, to figure out who gets to access this and, and what hoops someone might have to jump through to get access to an approved therapy. We could share a link to an earlier episode where Dr. Neil Thacker of the ALS Association went through some of those issues. But Daniel, I guess my question for you is, what can people who are listening in at home do? How can they get involved in in joining the movement? I don't think the answer is any different than this community has been hearing since the dawn of ALS advocacy. Like Like I just said, it's on us. We need to stand up and we need to object to these types of assessments that overlook the most important things that give life value. We have to join together to let those who are in a position to deny us access to promising treatments based on misguided value assessments know, you know, we see you, we're not okay with what you're doing, and we object. So I I ask everybody listening in right now to ask themselves, do I want my life, my loved one's life, to be valued on our own terms? And if you do, I would ask everybody to go to als.org forward slash ICER and please sign this petition. And we will share a link to als.org slash ICER in the show notes to make it easier for listen-ins to get engaged. Uh, Daniel, thanks for all the work. Thanks again for sharing your story and thanks for taking some time for us this week on Connecting ALS. Absolutely. Again, thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. Well, special thanks again to our guest this week, Daniel Kramer, for sharing his story and his reasons for signing the petition that you can again find at als.org slash ICER. We talked a couple weeks ago on this show about a fight to pass a funding bill in the great state of Minnesota. Happy to report that that bill was passed by both chambers in that state legislature and signed into law by the governor of Minnesota, creating both a stream of resources for ALS caregivers and a funding stream for ALS research. Really hoping that that is a sign of things to come as more states get involved in the fight against ALS. We will share some resources to the great news out of Minnesota in the show notes as well. Uh, But congratulations, everybody involved in that effort. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Connecting ALS. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and find a way to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a great way for us to increase our audience and connect with even more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Supervised by David Hoffman. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon.